Hey everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Paul Johnson. We are the Last Nighters. You can find us on the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction, and also at lastnighters.com. This is episode 152 of the show. And you find the show notes more at uh, lastnighters.com slash 152. We're talking about the movie High Rise, and it's going to be a hot one tonight. So brace yourselves for a tirade or two from Robert as we welcome on. Welcome the great James Gentleman, the urban agorist, on to talk about this class warfare flick from 2015. Uh, James is uh, the proprietor and host of the Urban Agorist show. We were a guest of his recently on episode number five. So you can go to Urban, Urban Agorist uh, slash UrbanAgorist.com slash five to uh, hear the um, second least listened to episode so far of his wonderful show. And uh, welcome to the show, James. I think you're muted. Still muted. Oh, you know what? Something's going on. It doesn't say you're muted in the software. And great content. Here we go. He's back. He's almost back. And he's gone. He'll be back. He'll be back. I swear. I know that he's not like we, we did some pre-show bonus content with James and I made a very terrible joke, uh, sort of at his expense. Yeah, he's um, super offended. He's super triggered and offended, and and he was uh, shaking. probably not. He's literally shaking, shaking. Literally shaking. Here he is. Here I am. Hello. I, so while you were while you were so eloquently introducing me, I my my microphone. I I nudged it. I kind of shifted in my chair and nudged my mic. It was just a little nudge. I think the USB cable uh, might have come unplugged. Mother nudger. All right. Well, welcome to the show, James. Uh, why don't you uh, tell everyone what your show is about and where they can find it? Oh, sure. Well, so my show is the Urban Agorist podcast. Um, I'm a I'm a brand new agorist. Uh, and agorism is sort of a branch of libertarianism um, that completely rejects politics. We're more interested in black market um, subversion of the uh, capitalist system, so to speak, um, or at least from like the normie point of view. Uh, so that's what my show's about. But even deeper than that, I'm really interested in hearing people's stories. Um, so we're not really talking about politics or theory or philosophy so much um, as very practical and biographical things. You can find me at urbanagorist.com or uh, on this here YouTube thing. All right. Well, very good. And uh, I, I think that uh, as early on in the show as you are, I think that you are doing a great job. Um, we were a guest recently, as I mentioned, and you did a great job with us, uh, giving us great questions and hopefully getting decent responses out of us. So thanks for yeah, that. I'm, I'm trying to hone my interviewing skills. I want to be the libertarian Larry King. Um, and my taste in movies, uh, it also follows suit with that as you will find out from this terrible movie that we're reviewing tonight that you both <laughs> apparently just hated and I loved. So, uh, there you go. All right. Well, that's good. That's good. Now, um, I was thinking that we could do ratings out of um, number of floors and no, Robert, there is no parking lot uh, basement levels. So it has to be a positive score <laughs> above zero, but uh, that, that could be our rating system for the end here. But how we start off is with the old uh, Google description. So I'm going to pull that up now in just a moment and uh, we will get into this, into this great discussion here. So is this showing up for you guys? All right, here we go. So High Rise came out 2015. It's based on a uh, book of the same name. And that's by J.G. Uh, Ballard. Uh, and it it uh, 
is a drama slash sci-fi movie, one hour and 59 minutes, 5.6 IMDb, 60% Rotten Tomatoes, 65% Metacritic, and what I think might be one of the lowest scores I've seen from the Google users, 70% of Google users liked it. The description is short and sweet, unlike the movie. It says, life for the residents of a tower block begins to run out of control as the residents break into tribal factions. Lang finds himself in the middle of mounting violence. It doesn't really say a lot. But uh, the release date was May 13, 2016 in the U.S. of A. Director is Ben Wheatley, and it uh, had a budget of 6.1 million Great British Pounds, which is approximately $8 million at the time of this uh, recording. It, of course, has uh, Tom Hiddleston, Luke Evans, Sienna Miller, Jeremy Irons, and Elizabeth, Elizabeth Moss uh, starring in this. And um, I, I read a couple of reviews, and apparently people didn't like this movie the first time they saw it, but then upon subsequent viewings, enjoyed it much more. But uh, Robert, I'm going to go to you for your opening take on this. Now, I, I hope it hasn't been tainted by any of the pre-show discussion we've had or any comments from our buddy Mike C. Um, I want to get the visceral vitriol that you have stored up for days while you're, um, we had to re-record or reschedule this because you living on the lower floors with your Che Guevara poster lost power yesterday. So we had to record tonight instead. Yeah, the uh, the rich people living above me stole all my power yesterday. So that's why we couldn't record. So I'm confused. This movie, you said it was written? Daniel? I could have sworn you said like there was a script and like, it was based on a book or something. Like somebody wrote this? Like they wrote, they, they wrote down. There's a book, which my, my, without reading the book and having seen the film one time, I think the book is probably better than the movie. And I think that whoever wrote the script or the screenplay bar. from the book assumed that the viewers would have also had read the book in order to better understand the movie because there's all sorts of inside stuff, I think, that you don't get from being just a fresh-off-the-street viewer of this movie. But okay, well, let's, let's, let's get the good out of the way because that won't take very long. <laughs> okay, moving on to the bad. All right, so it teases a good story. It starts off like this guy, Loki, he's looking like hell and everything has gone to hell. He's just living in this shithole. And he's like, you know, how did it get this way? And so and then he, teases, he goes back to like, flashes back to like four months earlier. And I think that's the, something they had to do. Because if they don't tease you, this movie just, things just happen without reason. And there's nothing, there's nothing to keep anybody interested. I am absolutely shocked that anybody liked this at all. I challenge anybody to tell me what the plot is without using a concept. So a plot isn't just a series of events. It's not just a series of things that happen. It's a series of interconnected things that lead from one scene to the next. And this movie has nothing like that at all. It is just a series of things happening without any reason. There's no context. Hey, the, the main character doesn't do anything that affects anything. The Any of the characters don't seem to do anything that affects anything for any particular reason that it occurs beforehand. They just seem to be acting. And the only thing that I can really explain 
the cause of this movie, like from, from a real thing, not just like capitalism, is a gas leak. And then everybody just acts crazy or a dream. The whole damn movie is a dream and none of it's real because nothing actually makes sense in the sense that so-and-so does a thing and it causes another person to go, oh no, I don't like that. And then I'm going to do this thing. It's just a series of rich people somehow take away from the poor people somehow as if there's this fixed pie of electricity and somehow the rich people are sucking it all up with their party somehow like they couldn't just and it, the dream angles the only thing that makes sense for the all the cars disappearing that one scene for some reason like we get no excuse no explanation for anything happening this this movie is the most incoherent shit show that i think i've seen in a long time i would have turned it off I would have turned it off way early, but it was $3.99 to rent and it was $4.99 to own. And I go, well, it's just another dollar. You're already going in for 80%. Let's just tip it over the scales to the 100%. And so I own this piece of shit. So I had to watch the whole thing. Not only that, but for this dumb show too. So Daniel's like, haha, fucker. So I... I'm gobsacked that anybody, I mean, at the very, very end of the movie, there's this, they play this little radio bit of Margaret Thatcher talking about state capitalism. It doesn't explain anything. You can't just show me a pile of shit and then go at the end, well, state capitalism, of course. State capitalism, come on. Come on, guys. It's like you took a 23-year-old film student, not too smart. You gave him the Communist Manifesto, told him to read it. You give him all the cocaine and beer that he wants, and you give him 24 hours to give you this concept, not even a script, just a concept for a movie. And this is what he shits out. And then for some reason, this gets made into a movie. I I am just, it, none of it made sense. There's nothing, I keep going back to this, I know, but there aren't even like characters that you care about. You can't even describe the characters. Like, what are they? What, what do they care about? What do they want? What do they do that affects the non-existent plot at all? So you can't just say decadence, rich people, decadence, capitalism. Ooh, so deep, so deep. Oh, my mind is blown. My mind is blown from this film. It's, it's nonsense, crap, bullshit. And I hated this thing. This has got to be one of the worst reviewed movies of this entire show's history. I, I I, don't live by your rules, Daniel. Just because you say I can't go into the basement for this shit show doesn't mean I'm not going to. I am tempted to give it the world's first negative score. And I'm not talking down under five. I'm talking about under zero because I want people to stay away from this radioactive pile of dog shit. If people come around and tell me that this is actually a pro-anarcho-capitalist, you know, anti-state capitalism masterpiece, that this is actually going to be on our side telling our version of events, then I'm going to go into a corner and cry because this is not uh, anything that anybody is going to be pointing to and being like proud of. Like, hey, you got to watch High Rise because that's going to that's gonna explain my position on politics they're just going to be confused and like, what was that? I don't even know what, 
Okay, that's rant number one. That's probably most of my rant, but I'm going to come back to different things as we hit on, touch on things. And uh, I'm, I'm eager to find out anything positive. There were like a few kind of shots that looked kind of nice of like the, the faraway shots. You see the kind of buildings, but then it goes, it cuts to like these really ugly facade shots that are look like some kind of shit Photoshop crap that this behind, I think, I don't know, Daniel, is that, is that your background? This is like one of the outside shot. There's just this gray slab. Yeah, that's it. So behind, so that's obviously like the cover of the movie, like on the DVD cover. But if you actually watch the movie itself, it's just this gray slab crap that it's like fuzzy and out of focus. And it's Brutalism. shit. Uh, anyway. anyway. Yeah. So, so Robert, Robert, thank you for getting the tirade out of the way, at least tirade number one. I, I had warned people ahead of time that there's at least one or two tirades from you in this. And I was a little bit uh, concerned in the pre-show content, which is available for Patreon supporters, go to lastnighters.com slash Patreon to view that because you seemed as if maybe you had seen some commentary that might've swayed your opinion on this, but I'm glad to hear that your tirade was unfazed by that. So, so I appreciate you holding steadfast to your vitriol for this. I am um, excited to hear anybody slightly defend this thing. So I, I am eager. I hope nobody takes any of my commentary personally. I'm sure you don't, you're not personally affiliated with the film. So, but I want you to give me your full on, tell me your honest opinion of what you thought and why you liked it. You could, it could be a personal opinion. Like, man, I just really like Tom Hiddleston. He's just like, I'm just a big fan of him. Uh, and I got to see a whole bunch of him on screen. Fine. Without a shirt on. I mean, come on. He one was banging a couple of hot chicks. I mean, and what, you know, if he's down, if that's your bar right there, you know, that's, that, that's something. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so, so my first gut reaction, and then we'll uh, get James in on this, uh, this action here is that uh, I keep switching between the uh, having you widescreen and us uh, having a reaction shot just so you can see how we're reacting to what you're saying. Cause it's, it's, it's hilarious what you're talking about. And I appreciate that you have a, a good 11 minute rant in you just to open this thing off. But yes, I well, agree. It's, it's venom and hatred. This movie doesn't make a whole lot of sense in an, in like what you're presented with without any outlying contextual information. Like I'm pretty sure that if you've read the book, then this probably makes a lot more sense. And, and perhaps if you view it a, a second time, as some reviewers have claimed that the movie is much better upon a second viewing. But I, in watching this was very confused. I didn't know what the hell was going on with that opening scene of him, uh, you know, already like, disheveled and the the building's gone to hell and he's like eating a dog's leg i felt like they were going to go in a Shaun of the dead kind of cheeky vibe you know sort of had that kind of um humorous edge to it but then it doesn't go there it's just like scene happens and then something else happens kind of unrelated and then things seem normal again and then things get weird again and it makes no sense whatsoever there's no connective tissue uh at all in this movie uh, but if if you read like what they're going for the concept, then it sort of makes more sense. In, in, from in a, a certain, way, from a certain point of view, if you're already on board with their statement and that this metaphor is accurate in any way, then I think you'll see this as yeah more positive. Like yeah, that's what would happen. And okay, yeah these 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 lower classes are rioting, and then they're going to go in the pool and 
this is all going to happen in capitalism because it's unstable and it creates, you know, wealth disparity and blah, 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 blah. But if you're just watching it, not already drinking the Kool-Aid already on board with their argument. And you just want to watch a movie that makes any lick of sense. Like one seed lead, one scene leads to the next. Then uh, no, this is a, this is like a, this is like a fucking, who's that fucking painter? Dripper, dripper, Tully dripper. Now the guy that drips all his paint all over. It's like a Pollock painting. Nothing okay. leaves. It's just this mess of lines and color that go everything. Uh, anyway, anyway, I am eager to hear what James has to say, and hopefully right, you're so, not too tainted by my hatred. So, so James, before we go to you, I just want to mention um, that I felt like they were sort of toying with the idea that this could be cheeky, but then they didn't go there. But then that this also could have had like some shining type vibes, like the building is what's haunted and driving the action here. But then they don't go there either. So it's very confusing as to what's going on. And, and there isn't anything really. Um, I, I get that it's a class thing. But when they show me Hiddleston, and apparently he's the middle of the building. And they show me the high class people. And they show me the lower class people like uh, uh, Elizabeth Moss and uh, her husband guy. It's not clear to me what the differences are and why there's this delineation. You know, it, it doesn't make sense. Um, and then apparently the concept is that they're like increasingly like insulated within the building and shunning the outside world. And that's where they go into their base desires and, and the human nature. And that's where they, you know, man, dog, doggy dog kind of shit going on. But it, 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 I sort of, from, from looking at it, like analytically trying to take into account and in, in a very, um, forgiving way trying to make sense of it giving it as much credit as possible i'm trying to make sense of it but within the confines of the movie itself it makes no sense whatsoever so um let's it's gotta be a dream you. it's a dream that's why they nobody moves out it's a or dream or or it's hiddleston or it's has ghastly. lost his mind jack nicholson style in the show or, or everybody ate the the bread with the the fungus you know what i mean like the the stuff that caused the, uh, you know, the Salem witch trials. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you guys. Vaguely. About. <laughs> <laughs> All right, James, we'll, we'll go to you because you suggested this movie. Um, you had you had thought, I think, that this was uh, along the lines of a Snowpiercer or we had done The Platform and uh, um, Parasite had won Best Picture recently that we haven't done that one yet. I, I think I want to at some point. But it sort of has that same color, sort of like vibe, the class, um, uh, conflict vibe to it. So, so what's your take on it? And, and, and another angle was, uh, we're doing this around black Friday. So you wanted to tie that in there as well, just to remind you. Oh, thank you for reminding me, Daniel. Uh, because I am so good at analyzing things that, uh, I, I, I can probably draw all those conclusions. No, I, <laughs> I think you guys are absolutely right that the movie struggles in the editing department. Um, uh, I think maybe a director's cut would probably be about 19 hours long, but maybe tie together some of the loose ends. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it's not as far as like a movie goes, it's probably not the best movie. And this was my second time seeing it. And I liked it a lot better the second time I, I saw it. Um, I didn't realize that that was sort of the common consensus, but, um, that's my take on it as well. Uh, I think what I liked most about the movie <clears throat> is that it does lay out that class conflict that is really lacking in a lot of libertarian thinking. Um, the way that I would 
the way that I would characterize that closing scene with the Margaret Thatcher speech um, is that as, as far as anyone alive and probably anyone in history has experienced capitalism, it has always been state capitalism. And that's the way that Murray Rothbard characterized it. It's the way that Tom Woods characterizes it. It's the way that every ANCAP that you can think of characterizes it. And if you take away the state, the way that they look at it, it's still state capitalism and it's still going to create these class conflicts. Um, and so, and, and, and that's why I think that this is a legitimate commentary and not something to be just completely written off. Um, when you have someone on the 40th floor or at the top trying to construct a society, a community, um, a business even, you're going to get these conflicts. And I think that that's what this movie is a commentary on. Um, yeah, there's a lot of subtext. You have to, you have to kind of read between the lines on it. Um, and I think that's why a second viewing um, is a little bit better for a lot of people because the first time you're trying to take it in as a movie Whereas the second time you're trying to take it in as more of a commentary, um, there's a lot of stuff that that I missed on the first viewing. Um, in fact, the the one thing that I remembered most from the first viewing was sort of the riot in the grocery store. Uh, but you know, come to think of it, yeah, you know, you 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 kind of blew off the idea of power as a scarce resource, but power is a scarce resource. Um, you see that in war torn countries where power is rationed. You see it in California where power is rationed. Um, and, but you repeat yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and if the top floors are taking all the power, and as they said in the movie, you know, we're all paying the same amount for this power. The utility bills are all the same. Maybe the people on the top floors are paying higher rent, uh, but the, the utility bills apparently are all the same. And yet the people on the top floors have the power, the electricity and, and the, the, the political power, come to think of it. Um, whereas the people down below are in the dark. Uh, and whether, you know, whether you're a Rothbardian who thinks, you know, oh, you made your choices and, oh, you, you should have gone into a higher paying job in order to, in order to get onto the higher floors or, you know, whatever, whatever it is that, uh, that, that, that Rothbardians say, or it is just the fact that as long as you have people in political power, distorting markets beyond, beyond anything that we can even imagine, you're going to have these class con conflicts as long as there's as long as there's uh, perceived unfairness. Um, it's even something that Jordan Peterson, you know, in, from the classical liberal tradition, points out. Um, it's a problem. You 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 can say that it's a matter of human choice. Uh, you can say that it's a matter of that's just how the chips fell, or you can say that it's a matter of oppression or whatever but you have this sense of unfairness and you have to deal with it. You can't just say, oh, my, my philosophy says that this is, this is the just thing because you, know, you decided to become a cameraman and not, a, and not the talent on screen. And I decided to become talent on screen. So uh, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the one who is going to live on the top floor of this constructed society. So you're, you're viewing the building itself as a metaphor for society. In yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Okay. Uh, I think that the the old man, the architect, um, who had a perfect name, Royal, uh, Royal was trying to he was trying to construct a society, and that's why you know when the when the state cop comes to the door, they just push him away. They don't let him. They don't even let him in the building. Um, this this guy, the architect, 
is trying to centrally plan a society and you can't do that. You, you, you just can't. That's a, you know, that's, I, I got into an argument the other day on Twitter with someone over whether the United States is a nation. Um, and it's not, you know, uh, libertarians love revisionism, but so did Abraham Lincoln. And when Abraham Lincoln said, you know, our forefathers brought forth to this continent, a new nation, he was absolutely wrong. There is nothing national about the United States of America. It's completely constructed by this status document, the constitution. And anytime that you try to construct something that can only arise naturally, you're going to get this conflict, whether it's a nation or an apartment complex or whatever have you. Wow, this is, this. there's a lot to um, read into this. And I, I, I think that you're bringing up a lot of good points, but within the confines of the movie, Without all this oh, extra, movie movie. <laughs> without all the extra analysis, you know, the movie doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But yeah, I, I do, I do, I do like the uh, the concept of Royal being the central planner who fails. Um, and I've got a Hayek quote that's related to this, and it it is this: "It's the curious task of economics is to demonstrate to men how little they really know about what they imagine they can design. To the naive mind that can conceive of order only as the product of deliberate arrangement, it may seem absurd that in complex conditions, order and an adaptation, adaptation to the unknown can be achieved more effectively by decentralizing decisions and that a division of authority will actually extend the possibility of overall order. Yet that decentralization actually leads to more information being taken into account. And you almost see Royal or Scar, as I'll refer to the great Jeremy Irons, uh, confront this with, I, I must have missed something. I must have left something out of my thought process because the, the building is starting to fail and things are starting to, ha to have a problem. But then later on in the film, he says, no, actually, uh, I didn't miss something. I didn't add enough of something. And I, I'm not sure exactly what the point he was trying to get to. But my point is that you can't centrally plan because you can't account for all the individual decisions that each person is going to make in their own individual circumstances, their own subjective value scales are going to uh, play different roles. And, and you're never going to be able to, similar to, you know, how they're centrally planning like the COVID response, you're never going to be able to have an individual or a group of individuals decide, uh, centrally plan what will be the best outcome. Yeah, there's far too many variables. I think I think that's a, that's part of it. And, and you know, this come, this story uh, the movie's set in the 70s, but also the, the the novel that it's based on was written in the 70s. And I think um, that's right around the time that Hayek and the neoliberals were coming into their into their own. Um, and I think that's right. I think that's probably where this goes wrong, is that it's, it's positioned as a critique of neoliberalism, when in reality, uh, the critique of neoliberal neoliberalism is actually on the on the opposite side of neoliberalism. Um, this this movie is a collectivist uh, you know, uh, pseudo socialist, Marxist, whatever commentary. And in reality, class conflicts come from too much central planning and not too little. Yeah, that's a very good point because it, it seems as if they're, uh, the left is very good at this is, is identifying a problem, but then their prescription is more of the same thing that caused a problem. We've, we've made this point many times, but it, it almost leads them to do a bit of a projection where they're saying, Oh, this is what's causing the problem. This, uh, this 
free reign capitalism, dog eat dog capitalism, but it's really the policies that they're advocating that's causing the problems that, that they're experiencing. And so we see that uh, in this building uh, and in the, in the central planning where they're, they're saying that there's all this like conflict going on, but it's because they're trying to impose these ideas upon people. They're trying to impose these restrictions on people uh, and, and limitations on power and, and this um, higher, hierarchical structure where the people at the top get first dibs on everything. Well, that's another problem I have with the film. I mean, I'm okay with the movie having a perspective and wanting to tell a story, even though this movie doesn't tell a story. It, 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 it calls it, I guess there it's a critique against central planning and what they call state capitalism, but it's, is it it's saying that you, you listen, anytime you have state capitalism, you're always going to have these communist agitators. They're going to, fight against the system or is it saying that the communist agitators are the ones that are right i think that's two very different arguments and i think that the the communist agitators being right is hilarious and absolutely wrong i feel like that's the angle of the originators of the story like that's what they're trying to tell us right but i also think that that they're wrong in that analysis and that's the exact opposite it's they should be looking in the mirror and analyzing their perspective. I don't know. I think the fact that our protagonist is on the 25th floor, which is pretty close to the middle between Wait, the first hold floor. Hold up, James. And the 40th Do not floor. call him a protagonist. He does <laughs> nothing. Our, to, in order to earn that he, title, our, you actually have to protag. You actually have to our, act. It affects the plot. He does not earn weirdly, that. Our weirdly third-person omniscient narrator is on the 25th floor of a 40-floor building. Um, I think that that tells us that the story is told from the middle of the road. Uh, and, and well, and I guess at the end though, he does say that Wilder, the, the guy who goes wild, um, cleverly named, I guess. Yeah. Uh, he's the Billy butcher of this, I think. Yeah. Uh, he calls him the most sane person in the building. Um, so yeah, maybe you have a point. Maybe, he, maybe they are sympathizing with the communist agitators. I'm not sure. Um, and obviously it's a critique on Margaret Thatcher, uh, which in the UK is like still the thing to do. I mean, she's the, she's the, was she a British big thing Donald in the seventies? Yeah. That was when she was, that was when she was rising to power before she became prime minister. Yeah. I thought, I thought her, she reigned in like her prime minister days were like in the early eighties. If I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. She had, a, she had a long career before that. I mean, she being that being that she was a woman in, in politics, she had to put on that sort of powerful Hillary Clinton type vibe. Um, yeah, she, she was, had the iron she was very, thing, yeah. very well known prior to becoming prime minister. Okay. Yeah. Our next guest actually is a big fan of hers. Uh, and, uh, well, he said some things that I probably shouldn't mention on the, uh, non Patreon bonus content <laughs> version of the show, but I will remind me James, uh, on the post show to mention it. But, uh, you know, I, I, Based based on what you, what you guys are talking about, I think it's now a good time to bring in uh, our buddy Mike C's comments related oh, to the film. Where all right, he says the film is more about social engineering and the construct of classes that people get sold on in order to trap them in state guided markets, and I think that makes a lot of sense. Classes that people get sold on. I guess I'm a little bit fuzzy. That seems like a pretty fuzzy term. Trap them in state guided markets. State guided, as it if the supposed- state controls markets. All right, I mean, the they, they, they make laws and they have licensing. And- no, 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 no. 
the state the state has every control over every market. There is no such thing as a free market in the 21st or 20th century. Correct, but the state right. does not create a market. It does. The very no. fact that this, the very fact that the state paves the roads, the very fact that the state uses DARPA to create all these inventions and shit. Mm, all of the this state stuff. didn't invent the hula hoop. That's no, fine. I mean, and the state the state paved the roads that brought the hula hoop into all the retail stores that that's, sold that's the like a taxation hoop. argument that since the state created the roads, then they have a right to tax every, every, industry. no, no, no. They don't have a right to do anything, including paving the roads. That's the thing. Any state activity distorts the markets. Well, that's every, correct. I every state agree with you. distorts I the markets. I completely and agree with you. Yeah, of course that. you can. Because it I'm doesn't right. create markets. <laughs> it allows markets and it preferences markets, but it doesn't, invent anything you get my meaning yes like so, well, and, that's, and, and so and mike's comment was state guided markets the state does guide the markets through its regulations through its through its preferential treatments i mean the hula hoop is a yeah. is a is i would guide to restrict say it again change the word guide to restrict yeah it it, it shapes a river by putting rocks in different places Right. Mm. Yeah. Obstacles in the way. Yeah. And, 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 uh, I, I think that there's a middle ground. I think that, that markets exist wherever there's voluntary transactions. The fact that the state paves the roads and, and I'm going to just correct you on this. Most roads are actually private, uh, in the origination of roads. Um, but the fact that the state happens to monopolize that doesn't necessarily mean that they wouldn't have otherwise existed. Uh, and so you can't claim that because they stole money and then spent it on roads that they are then superseding the market. The market supersedes government control of the market. It is the golden goose on which they prey. I don't know that roads would have existed without the state. But they did. They absolutely did. I, 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 I don't know that that's the case. I think that from the, from the Roman Empire on, roads have been state funded and state built. Okay, well... And 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 humanity predates the Roman Empire. And, and if you didn't have that, if you didn't have that state, if you were if you were in a world of actual anarchy, then <laughs> thank you. Nice you're you're right. welcome. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> then who knows where technology would have led? I mean, maybe we're living in Star Trek. You know, I mean, yeah, we most likely would be. Maybe, maybe the it's scarcity of correct, hoop, which we're, we're starting to see now with with 3D printers. Obviously, there's not a 3D printer big enough to build a hula hoop right now that that a consumer can purchase anyway. Um, but maybe 3D printers came came about in the 1800s because you didn't have roads for for or railroads in the 1800s and roads in the 20th century for the trains and trucks to deliver the hula hoop to Target. Maybe, right. maybe, maybe technology marches in a completely different direction Absolutely. because we don't have a state. Absolutely. It all the, it does is restrict is, ingenuity, yeah. creativity through IP, through a million different ways. Right. It's thwarting it. And actually you can print roads now. I, I don't know if you've seen that. There's, there's video of, of these road printers and you can print houses, uh, 3d. So anyway, but we probably uh, would have had that technology hundreds of years ago. Or flying cars, I mean, which we were promised 20 years ago. No, we, Ugh, from in the Jetsons, <laughs> Jetsons style, and robots. I need robots. Which all right, have, so but. I I think we've we've derailed ourselves a fair amount, and also when we all try to talk over each other, I don't think anything comes out. So I feel like we're politicizing literally every word uh, on this episode because nothing makes sense, much like this movie. 
but uh, <laughs> reenacting this film. Right. Now. I should have I should have warned you, Daniel, before I came on. I'm really really bad at analyzing movies. Like I, I don't I don't I, I just am not a movie critic. Uh, no, this is great. This is perfect. This is this is the kind of stuff that I like. Yeah, this uh, is, you're doing great. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to mention also, because you are the urban agorist, that they have an urban homestead on the roof of this building, complete with gardens, sheep, horses, the whole bit. So I'm curious if that is a perspective you take uh, into your kind of ideals of urban agorism. We, we had a guy on uh, a couple of years ago who was doing a show at the time called Living Country in the City. And I think he's since changed the name to something, uh, maybe the Wild Initiative. The concept was that uh, he's doing things that are sort of like homesteading and, and, and living in a country sort of lifestyle, but he was in Los Angeles. You're in uh, Minneapolis, I believe. And um, is, that, is that something you're looking at like in your philosophy and your ideas to become more homesteaded or self-sufficient in the ways that they were on the 40th floor in the penthouse of this tower? Um, that's two different things. So uh, I, I do strive to be self-sufficient. I would love to be self-sufficient. I'm not currently. Uh, I'm employed. I pay, I pay taxes. Um, and if my house were on fire, I would call 911. So that's, I, I haven't reached my goal yet. Um, and a lot of high profile agorists right now are warning people. They're saying, get the hell out of the cities. Uh, especially Jack Spearco of the survival podcast. Um, you know, they, they think that there's no future in the cities. And I hope because I've been a city boy all my life, I really hope that that's not the case. Um, I hope that I will be able to reach some degree of self-sufficiency by buying a house with a small yard that I can garden out of and maybe keep some chickens uh, or whatever and, and not need to rely on, um, state resources or city, you know, municipal resources as much as possible. Uh, that's, so that's, so that's, that's, that's one thing. Yes, that is my goal. I do not think that Royal in high rise was in any sense of the term, an urban agorist. I think that, <laughs> I think, I think that Royal was a central planner who had delusions of grandeur um, and thought that because he could architect a building or a, 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 a complex of buildings that he could also architect an entire society. And I don't think anybody can do that. I think that that runs completely counter to any philosophy of libertarianism, especially agorism, um, which completely rejects any sort of political or uh, central planning sort of authority. Okay, great. So I, I'm kind of living your dream right now. I have a small house, plot of land, chickens, uh, yeah. That whole bit, though our garden has uh, failed miserably, um, but I, we're going to keep endeavoring to try. But um, one of the other things related to the movie and Royal, the central planner, <clears throat> is that he uh, seems like he thinks he's in charge. And I forget what his uh, his lackey's name is. But at some point, his lackey tells him, I don't work for you. I work for the building. I work for the building. Yes. Yeah, I, and and that's where I thought that the building was the the Overlook Hotel in The Shining, where the, yep. the where he's like spiritually, you know, working for the devil who controls the building or something like that. Or there's a higher power that he's reporting to, whereas the architect Scar is just a figurehead who thinks he's in charge, but he's actually not. And so that part kind of like threw me a little bit for a loop. Yeah, is he like the deep state operator? I didn't I didn't really understand that. 
or is the the building just society and he works for that uh, i didn't i think yeah. probably what he i mean just surface level what he meant was i work for the community i work for the people in the building um in the same way that like you know a, a city planner might say i work for the city when in reality they mean i work for the citizens of the city um but yeah i totally got the shining vibe too it might just be because we watched the shining and uh the movie the sequel dr sleep which I also liked much better than I was supposed to, according to reviews. <laughs> Robert, Robert liked yeah, that man. one. Doctor oh, Sleep. Really? Doctor oh, Sleep. Nice. Okay, we agree on at least one movie. <laughs> yeah, and actually, Robert Robert hated The Shining. Yep. Not as much as this movie, but pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Yep. Shining is middling garbage. Doctor Sleep was a lot of fun. This doesn't even deserve to be mentioned in the same sentence with either of those. By the way, Robert, why did you pay for it? You've got. You've it was a dollar more to watch it yeah. or a dollar less than just watching it. I don't have the, the kind of internet powers out here that you could just, you could just pirate anything. Well, it's also on Hulu just in case anybody listening wants to watch it, but don't, usually, don't watch it. If you watch it, watch some it rogue uploader will put something on YouTube and then I'll be able to watch some kind of weirdly cropped version of it. And that probably would have been <laughs> just fine in this situation because I don't Weird. think getting the full experience really helped it in this case. <laughs> yeah, there, there was a, uh, a John Wayne movie about him like capping uh, oil fires that I watched on YouTube a couple of years ago. And it was like weirdly cropped and like off to the side and like super dim. But it was like the way to watch it. It was called Tickets Around the Algorithm. Yeah. Yeah, Wild Catters or something like that. It's, it's actually a really good movie. But um, I watched this movie using a library card. So I have to hand in my anarchist Based. card. Yeah, you're excommunicated. That's <laughs> that's that's heresy right there. <laughs> All right, so one other no angle I wanted to bring up, and we're actually abutting up against our, our time limit, unfortunately. But um, the Elizabeth Moth Moss character, uh, Helen, she's a pregnant lady, uh, married to the wilder guy who's like trying to bang all these other chicks while he's doing all this coke. Um, she's apparently a pregnant environmentalist who the TV guy says to her, the TV personality guy is like, you do a lot better by the earth by stop by stopping having children. And I thought that was an interesting angle because in the seventies and, uh, and I haven't uh, read the book, but I'm pretty sure that that uh, the zeitgeist of that era was that we're going to overpopulate the earth and we need to, you know, the population bomb, that was like a big thing. Like Time Magazine had a cover about it, whatever. So I'm pretty People sure it's in the book. still talk about Malthus, Malthus to this day. I don't know why, but. Right, yeah. So so, so they're basically saying, like, if you're truly an environmentalist, you'll you'll stop having children. You'll stop overpopulating the earth because, and, and, and I think even like 10 years ago, there were like articles saying, well, you know, SUVs are bad, but having kids is even worse. Something like that. Like, if you really want to help the environment, stop having kids. Yeah, there's uh, Malice brought up on the, I think, the Jones podcast with Tim Poole. There's a book called The Infinite Resource. And it's basically about the human mind and the power of the human mind to innovate beyond all. Meaning, essentially saying that the Earth is essentially an infinite resource. If you couple that with the human mind and its ability to innovate, that will essentially never run out of things to turn into energy or create food with. Um, not that there isn't death and there isn't, you know, people sick and going hungry and that sort of thing. 
But if you take into account the the potential of the human mind to solve problems and create new technologies, uh, there is really no limit to what we can achieve. And I highly recommend it. I've only read the first few chapters and it's mostly just me going agreeing with the guy the whole time. I haven't found a whole lot that I can point to. Wait, so, wait, wait. Hold up, Robert. You're actually reading a book? Hey, I, this is the second book I'm, I'm reading. I've already read No Country for Old Men. Okay? I actually <laughs> okay. read a book. Because I'm a big fan of the movie. And mm-hmm. Cormac McCarthy, I something about his, reading, his writing style grabbed me. And I'm like, yeah, I'm on board. It, it takes a certain kind of author with a certain kind of writing style to, to draw me in. And he did it in that book. So congrats to him. Is No Country for Old Men the one where the, the big guy with the Dutch boy haircut walks around with a nail gun shooting people yep. in the head? Yep, that's the one. Oh, great. I need to re-see that. It's been a while, as you can tell yeah. by my description. Yeah, yeah and, and we and haven't I, done that one. I'll say that the movie is very true to the book. It The book goes on after the, the credits roll in the movie, a good, I don't know, a couple of chapters. But you don't necessarily need that that back end stuff to enjoy the whole story. It's pretty much the whole story. So unlike hopefully this movie, which uh, I I mean, I would I would hope that the book fills in some of the gaps. I haven't read the book obviously because I don't really read books. But um, I, I, Robert, I think your your most poignant critique of this movie is that it doesn't have a plot. And yeah, one would <laughs> I mean yeah I, I watched it I watched it with my significant other and uh, throughout the movie we had to pause it and like create like a meeting of the minds um, to try to fill in the gaps. And I totally recognize that as a fan of the movie, I understand that, <laughs> that there are a lot of gaps in it. Okay, good. You can't fully defend this thing. I appreciate that. So yeah, my, my on, wife on and I my... were like, we're like, what the hell just happened? And why is it over here now? And... Yeah, why is the power out all of us? Why is he stuck in the elevator? What, what? Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure if you have context, it makes sense. And and I think the book, and again, I haven't read it either, but I, I feel like if you've read the book, then you watch the movie, it all lines up. And and I think it's one of those situations where whoever adapted the screenplay of this had read the book and became very, very familiar with it. And like, oh, I'm going to create this movie about it. And they don't know what the viewer doesn't know. You know what I mean? Like they know too much. It's it's like the problem of the professor. The professor knows too much so that they teach it over the heads of the students. And I feel like maybe that's what's happened here in this movie. Yeah, there still has to be test audience. There still has to be somebody you show it to that goes, you know, none of this makes any sense. Why? Why did this happen? Why did that? Why did the entire thing happen? And you can't just say state capitalism, man, decadence, the rich, you know, you can't just wave it away with a concept. No, that doesn't fly with a plot and narrative, which is essentially what film and a movie structure ought, I mean, ought, whatever. I'm, well, I mean, that, that's why we do movies. It's because it's an encapsulated thing. It's because it's a, you, you spend two to three hours watching it and then you can discuss the body of that work. That's why yeah. we do what we do. Right, like if you wanted to create a compelling argument as to why state capitalism is always gonna fail, and why it's always going to create these class structures and all that, then I think you really, really, really need to have the characters acting believably and have their motivations be understood by the audience. Because if they're just, things are just happening. And then you at the end, you're just like wave a wand and be like, look at that. It was all due to state capitalism. 
what was due to stick capitalism. Anyway. Yeah. And that final scene with the kid uh, sitting outside the building, like the only scene in the movie really that takes place outside the building, um, listening to this speech by Margaret Thatcher. I mean, that was admittedly super cheesy uh, and like just so so contrived. And um, (laughs) I mean, how, how can we, how can we, how can we really, really drive home the message that we're trying to, uh, impute on this audience. Oh, I know. Let's have this small child listening to a speech by Margaret Thatcher. See, now, that what was the guys... well, Okay, go ahead. Well, what well, did you guys think of? Because there's it actually one thing in the movie started to turn into a plot at the very, very end when the rich people decided that they were going to lobotomize Wilder. And I was like, holy crap, there's characters talking about doing something in this movie? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, yeah. they actually carry it out? Like a scene leads to another scene? What's what's happening? I don't know what I'm watching. But it seemed to imply that the smart rich people at top understood and recognized the danger that this smart revolutionary guy at the bottom who's right about everything poses and they need to lobotomize him through I don't know TV or whatever the boogeyman the left likes to point to. But they're actually admitting that the communist guy is right and that you know that the rich dumb down the masses through whatever means that they do is that right but does but it, yeah, take away that but also that they have to do it within the confines i keep saying that word sorry but they, they have to do it within the rules of their game like they have to get hiddleston's character to psychoanalyze the guy and then recommend that this procedure happen. They have to like follow whatever arbitrary rules they have in place in which to justify the behavior that they're wanting to do. And it's almost like a rubber stamp thing, like a FISA court thing. Like not to go down a rabbit hole, but the FISA court thing is like basically a rubber stamp to get uh, surveillance on whatever the hell you want. And it's not an actual like adjudicated uh, judicial process. It's, it's a um, kind of a rubber stamp kind of procedure that if the government wants to do something, government approves that thing to happen, but then they can claim that it's been approved through this process, if you get what I'm saying. So basically, they're just putting this hurdle in front of themselves to authenticate it or, or make it okay for them to then do this horrific procedure on Wilder. Right, right. I wonder... He's the the Fauci of this movie. <laughs> I wonder if uh, his position on the 25th floor and not the 15th floor of the 40 story building has something to do with that. I mean, like, so he's, he's just this side of the rich side of the building. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, his very, like his, 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 his debutante ball was this, was this party where everyone was in like uh, 18th century garb and he shows up in a normal suit, bringing a cheap bottle of wine, but at least he was invited to the party. But they're um, all laughing at him, yeah. Yeah, they laugh at him. They 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 kick him out and they put him in the elevator, which breaks down. And that's the very first time that the power goes out. Like that's that's when the movie starts, really. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if their expectation of him to psychoanalyze this guy on their like to, to their to their benefit and then uh, do the do the lobotomy. Which is another another hole in the movie. We don't even know what kind of doctor he is. Like, is he qualified to psychoanalyze and do a lobotomy? Who knows? I mean, like, the only thing we've seen him do medically is peel someone's like a, a, a 
uh, uh, the face, face off, off of his face skull. off, and then yeah. he looks at a at a <laughs> X ray of a guy's head. Yeah. Anyway, so I I I digress. Uh, I mean, that's is that sort of the point of the movie? This guy who is just this side of upper class, um, whose ultimate goal in the movie is to climb the rungs so that he can become actually on the upper class, refuses yep. to 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 kowtow to their whims. But then at the end of the movie, it implies that while he has gone crazy and started talking about himself in the third person, he's also sort of taken on the architect role, I think. But Unless what's I'm completely weird, misinterpreting it, which is absolutely possible. <laughs> Hence why it's a terrible movie. But uh, <laughs> it's not even well, it's clear a great to me, movie. <laughs> it's not clear to me that he even wants to advance any higher. Like it, there's no motivating factor for him other than to have sex with the lady above him, you know, and, yes. and then he happens to get invited to hang out with the architect and play uh racquetball with him or squash or whatever. But it, it's not like it's a motivating factor for him. And in fact, he's like, uh, he's, he's, he's put in a weird position where his students who passes out at him at the sight of him pulling the face off of the cadaver um, to find out that he's at this high class party and shuns him. Like it's this weird, like, well, this guy's supposed to be below me, but he's above me. It reminds me of like being in high school and you're only supposed to hang out with, with kids like your grade or higher and you must like shun or otherwise throw in a locker anyone younger than you. Um, it felt like that was a position where he was like a junior and this freshman kid was passing out while, watch, while, while watching him pull off a head. And then later on, he sees the freshman like hanging out with the jocks and, and telling him that he's like some loser. You know, I, I don't know yeah. if I was supposed to, to to like convey a message, but but he was definitely looking down at that guy like you're my student and I'm teaching you something and you weren't able to handle it. And then he sees him in another social situation and he's like. That guy treats him like garbage. And it's uh, it's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah he definitely what, he definitely what were trying to the, say. Go ahead, James. Sorry. He definitely kind of bridges the gap. I mean, and and I think I, I keep going back to the fact that he's on the 25th floor. I mean, he's in love with this woman on the 26th floor. So a, a slightly a rung higher. Um, but on the other hand, all of his friends are down below. They're in the they're in the in the the, the lower class. We don't even know what what floor uh, Mad Men girl and Wilder live on. Yeah, they covered um, up the, the number with the Che Guevara poster. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, they're they're the they're the the uh, the proletariat, I guess. Um, but he he he's friends with them. He's in love with the woman who's slightly above him, and he's reluctantly trying to go to the parties of and associate with the people who are way above him. Upon invitation, though, right? And so yeah, yeah. and when he and, and actually, it's not until he's rejected by those people. And then again, the elevator breaks down while he like that's the that's that's when the movie starts. Like everything before the elevator breaking down, where where he's kicked out of their party for uh, being white trash, basically. Um, everything before that was just intro. The movie really starts when the elevator breaks down, and then the lower class people start having power outages. The pool is reserved for a for a private party. Um, and then all the lower class people and I think Loki's character crash that party um, and just completely like white trash eyes it 
uh, murder of the dog. Yeah. Oh yeah. The murder of the, the murder, not only of the dog, but the like long haired, like rich person dog, as opposed to, you know, the, the normal golden retriever or, you know, what, whatever Labrador we see at the end that he only murders for, uh, for sustenance. Um, Urban agorism. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, when, when, when the shit hits the fan, I'm eating my dog, obviously. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> yeah. So, so, so essentially what we're saying, and I think this is the theme of this discussion is that if you bring a whole bunch of additional context, maybe this is like decent, but within what we're presented with, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, I think you're right. But I like and, that, and Robert hates but, it. So. But maybe that's maybe that's why, on a second viewing, people are like, "Okay, I start to see more, and I like it better." But that doesn't mean that the movie itself is any better. But they've had time to reflect on the open questions left by the movie, and not that they're intentionally left open, as in to make you think. But it's like it's so <laughs> lack of coherence that you can't help but think about it. So it's not intentional. It's not a planned thing, right? The central planning thing. It's more of a, that wasn't that good, but for whatever reason, I'm going to subject myself to it again. And upon that subjection, they like it better. I get that this movie is a metaphor. It's blatantly a metaphor. And I understand <laughs> that blatant. it is hyperbole in order to, you know, create art, you're like exacerbating something like something you see in the real world, you highlight it. So you hyperbolize it. But if this is somehow a metaphor for state capitalism, which is what pretty much everybody agrees what we exist under for the most part, I mean, I, I would agree that it's mostly more socialistic tendencies than capitalist tendencies that cause all the problems. Especially uh, I, I, uh, central central planning, right? I don't I don't see how state capitalism is akin to central planning, but I mean, other than like James was saying, with uh, the way that the state interferes in the market. But the end of this movie has everything destroyed. There's no food. It is Mad Max. They are eating dogs. They are killing each other. And if that's the end result of state capitalism. I'm looking around and we've had more stuff. We're richest, the richest world ever, the richest nation ever. See what this movie's argument is correlating to the real world. I, I get that it has some points it's making about the state capitalism and the central planning creating classes somewhat. I, I really think class is such a fuzzy word that I'm not a big fan of it. It's so so non-specific that it it's like well people are in different classes well people are moving between classes all the time and as they get older they're moving into different classes and uh, anyway uh it just it, i don't think that this movie really like even if i agree with it it doesn't ring true to me from what i see in the real world if that makes sense because I, I don't think that the whole thing the world is on fire i mean even with all the the chaos around the 2020 election and all the people actually burning down cities that's due to, you know, political disruption and communist action like the movie talks about, but still we, 
that's not normal. That is, we, we highlight it and we are upset about it because it is so rare. It's not, it's not like everywhere. I mean, I look outside. If, if this, if I agreed with this movie's premise, then I wouldn't even want to leave the house because it would be just Mad Max everywhere. That makes sense. Why do you think I don't leave the house? I know you don't leave the house, but I'm telling you, like you said, and like that meme talks about with the normal people all wearing all the crap and then the conspiracy theorists all without the crap on, they're all happy. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, we're, we're over time, unfortunately. And not that I am not in a giving mood during this Thanksgiving holiday season of giving additional minutes of content to our listeners, but we should get to the point where we do final summary and review, barring any final notes that anyone wants to bring up. No, I'll just talk James, about all the positive things I liked about this movie. All right. Yeah, well, no, you're, I, done. I, you're already done. I think we're, I think we're, I think we've, I think we've hit every note that I want to hit at least for the normies. Okay. All right. All right. Normies. So uh, by the way, last nighters uh, listeners, we do a longer version of the show wink wink that uh, you can go to actualanarchy.com to listen to uh, you get a little bit of pre-show and post-show content to the last nighters portion of the show but we even do more than that for our patreon listeners so go to lastnighters.com slash patreon and uh, support us there give us a couple of bucks and we'll give you live screen access and all that stuff anyway um james why don't you lead us off with your final summer interview and give us a number of floors rating out of 10 and i'm not going to say yay or nay on negative floors just yet okay so um i think that it is a fantastic cultural commentary from the left uh i think that being that it's from a le- from the left it it maybe miss um what mislabels or misinterprets some of the some of the cultural aspects of it um so there's that uh, as a movie, I, this was my second viewing of it, as I've said. Um, so I really liked it a lot better the second time. The first time, honestly, I slept through most of it. Um, so I am going to give it eight and a half floors out of 10 because I am the Larry King of libertarianism and I have to uphold my very, very, very low standards for movies. So eight and a half out of 10. I'm going to go wide on, on all of us just to show my eyes widen with how high of a score you gave it. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> All right, Robert, let's get your take. I'm I'm sure it's going to be slightly different than our friend James. I'm going to go a little bit under that. And by a little bit, I mean entirely. Underground? This is is absolutely my first negative score for a movie. Every other time I've ever watched a movie, and I'm not against, you know, an art art film, like a college try, like somebody, I'm going to, just have an idea, man. We're just going to, you know, take some film and it's going to be cool. And this stuff's going to happen. And it's going to be so far out, dude. I'm not against that. Um, the fact that it got like a studio budget is another thing entirely. Um, I, you know, and it doesn't surprise me that this kind of leftist critique of society would get budgeted, um, at least a little bit and get made. Well, it's just $8 million. It's not right. like a big a million pounds. Service. It's it's not a lot of money, so it could be in a still studio art house kind of film. Um, the fact that it attracted Tom Hiddleston, who's actually a big kind of big name. This is what 20, 2015? This is at the height of his Loki powers, his Marvel beginnings, and he's like becoming a big name. And 
that he would choose to do this thing is uh, kind of strange, but maybe he agrees with the, the, the premise. Uh, but I still, in order to recommend this thing to anybody, I have to judge it on the merits of it being a, a, a story, not just this flat political commentary that makes absolutely no, even if you're judging it on its merits of saying that, hey, it's a political commentary and it's a, totally a metaphor for society. You still have to have the characters acting believably and have them have motivations due to society, right? Like, oh, this is the capitalism affecting him in this way, in this specific way, because communists actually do have a crit criticism of capitalism and saying that it alienates people from each other. It turns them into competitors when we all should be working together and, you know, living in harmony and it cr creates you a more what, fulfilled person, right? Instead of just like this cog in a machine, they do kind of have like a, a critique saying that, you know, people would be happier, healthier uh, people under capitalism or uh, sorry, under communism than they are in a capitalist. That would at least you could, you could play around with that. I think in a story sense, but in this one, it's like the lower classes are just partying all the time. The upper classes are just partying all the time. They're, They're party fighting. Actually it's, it's, it's yeah, it's just all party all the time. And none of the characters are actually, uh, they're not doing anything that is going, oh, well, okay, I see that uh, his job is alienating him. He feels alienated from these other people. And then that's why he's doing this and that and the other thing. None of their behaviors align with what the movie's trying to say. So for that, it just seems completely disjointed and non. Well, it just, it reminded me of, you know, those old wheels that you could turn and it would just be a series. I mean, I'm betraying my age here, but you used to be able to get these like scopes, Paris kaleidoscope things. There's like a series that you could just flick your thumb or finger and it would just be a little wheel and it would just be a series of images that went around and you could just tack on whatever story you wanted because it's just a series of images. It's just moving shapes and sounds. And uh, that's what this is. There's no motivation. There's no actual coherent story. So there's nothing for anything but a, like a political political ideologue to really latch onto and to appreciate, I think. But, you know, if you are a leftist, like an angry young leftist who just read the Communist Manifesto, well, read, I don't know. They just like, you know, got just got out of the communist propaganda centers, also known as universities and you want something that reaffirms your understanding of the planet. Not to say that it doesn't have some, some legitimate arguments in the film, like James is pointing out. There are some kind of legitimate arguments in terms of central planning, that kind of stuff. But overall for me, this is, yeah, and I'm, I'm just going on and on and on, but this is a, this is a negative, negative one. You could, I do not recommend this to anybody to see in any circumstance if you really want to subject yourself to it go ahead but that's on you don't don't blame me i warned you <laughs> all right so robert has done his public service his good deed for the year he's helped the old lady across the street uh while wearing a mask and social distancing from her and waiting for the walk signal not in canada that has the janky walk guy but in the u.s it has the straight uh walk guy going across so thank you for that public service announcement, Robert. And thank you for your score, James. Uh, 
my review is going to be sort of in between the two of you. You guys are diametrically opposed on this. James gave it a roughly an eight. And if, if I recall it, and Robert, a negative one, I'm going to go with a uh, four and a half, right? Is that like roughly in between you guys? I think that it has a definite style to it. And it has a load of decent actors, though not a whole lot of a decent story, not a, not a bunch of plot. I think that having read the book, it might make more sense or having a lot of additional information outside where you've like seen the movie and then thought about it for a while or maybe done some research outside of the movie and then come back and watch it. Maybe it'll be better. But I don't like my movies to require a bunch of homework in order to make them be good. I mean, there's some movies where that's kind of okay. We're like a, a second or third viewing. You, you reveal more of what the creator intended and, and it makes more sense or, or it fills in some gaps or makes it like better in some way or more enjoyable in some way. But I don't know if this is actually going to do that. Like something needs to be enjoyable on the first viewing to inspire me to want to view it again and to look more into it. And I got to say, uh, when James, when you suggested this movie, I, I saw the trailer and I was like, wow, this looks really good. Like, holy crap, I'm excited to see this. And then I watched it. I'm like, <laughs> pretty disappointed in, in what, what the movie ended up being. However, um, you know, the trailer is there to get you to want to come see the movie. But the opening weekend for this was, if, if I'm going to throw a dollar value out there, under $80,000. So despite an excellent trailer, uh, they weren't able to inspire butts in the seats. And this is, you know, like five, six years ago. So um, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that it didn't do better. Um, this is a movie I had not ever heard of until you suggested it. And uh, I think I know why it's because it didn't, um, it didn't have a lot of staying power with people who are interested in it, except for those who maybe saw it and then saw it again. And, and so if only so many people see it and then only so many of those people see it again and actually like it, it's a pretty small niche of a niche kind of um, audience for it. Uh, so overall, I might be willing to watch it again, especially after this discussion and after kind of considering it more. But I don't think that in the form of itself as, as just a movie, it makes a whole lot of sense. And it's that great of a movie unless you put in the extra legwork and perhaps even read the book. So uh, I'm kind of eh on it. So, you know, the four and a half, four and a half is for this one. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you both for your honest reviews. Appreciate that. Well, I just, I'm, I'm so, glad we got to get, let you spit some fire for like a good 20 minutes to open this. I probably and, went a little bit overboard, but I was a little bit fired up. I want to thank James for recommending this movie. It's rare that I have this much vitriol, so I appreciate that. I love it. And in my defense, uh, I also recommended The Founder, which I think you guys both liked. If I'm not we've mistaken. done The Founder, we both yeah. love The Founder. So, yeah. So I don't have absolutely terrible taste in movies. I only have slightly terrible taste in movies. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's good enough for me to want to have you back. And I, I hope that this experience wasn't enough to drive you away, even with the pre-show bad joke contents that, that I had for you. But uh, uh, that's going to be our, our show for The Last Nighters tonight. Uh, we will have a little bit more bonus content after this, available for, for people uh, on uh, 
Patreon. And we might actually move off of Patreon before too long, maybe to Subscribestar or Locals or something like that. I've been getting um, restricted uh, on certain areas like Facebook. Uh, my Google Ads account has recently been, recently been suspended, and I'm pretty sure that Patreon is not too far behind. So uh, we might be making some moves there. However, um, because we had lastnighters.com slash Patreon as our link, I might just keep it as that link, and then it'll just go to the new place. So that'll just be easier for everyone. But um, uh, James, I want to thank you for, for joining us for this episode and for having us on as a guest for your episode number five. So urbanagorist.com slash five. We had a really great discussion with you and, and we had a lot of fun with you tonight. And I'd love to have you back on in the future. And uh, I, I think that uh, I got a few ideas of movies perhaps to do, even though you don't consider yourself a movie reviewer. Um, if, if you're willing to come back, I, I think I'd like to have you back. But um, yeah, I can second that. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah. And also, uh, next week, we're going to have a friend of yours on. Uh, he goes by the name The Professional Asshole. Uh, I don't know if you, you'll recognize him by that name alone, but I'll let you know on the, on the post-show content, uh, his actual name. But he's going to come on in honor of Sean Connery's recent passing in memoriam. We're going to do one of his iconic roles as James Bond in From Russia With Love. So I'm surprised he didn't pick the one uh, where he slaps a woman because that was, I think, in um, Diamonds Are Forever. But uh, From Russia With Love, a very excellent Bond film, probably one of the better ones uh, starring Sean Connery. So we'll have the professional asshole on for that one. So, uh, James, again, thank you very much. I, I appreciate you joining us for this. People can find you at urbanagorist.com. Our episode with you, urbanagorist.com slash five. They can find the show notes and more for this episode of The Last Nighters at lastnighters.com slash 152. And uh, with that, we'll say good night from last night and uh, peace out, everyone. Have a good night.